You can earn trust, that may take time. I believe now we're in a moment because we have so many customer, I'm sorry, so much advertising. Everyone's trying to win attention, you know, the attention economy. I think you need to try to win trust. And a way of winning trust is making this deep human connection, which is all about understanding somebody's aspirational goal. So I thought to myself, if I was gonna build a brand and I was in that, you know, the, 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 the hero meets the guide, the first thing I was thinking about would be basically the guide understands my aspirational goals. Hello, and welcome to the Everybody Brands Podcast, where we help you build brands, shape your culture, and inspire your team. I'm Brian Soy, principal of Aspire, a design and marketing agency that helps people build thriving organizations and purpose-driven brands through strategy, design, and the story brand marketing framework. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Everybody Brands podcast. And today I'm really excited to have MindState Group founder, Will Leach, who wrote this fabulous book called Marketing to Mindstates. Will knows what it, what it's like and how it feels to hold your breath every time you launch advertising and how crushing it is when the campaign you worked on so hard just crashes and burns. With over 25 years of experience in corporate America, Will has worked with some of the biggest brands in the world and conducted hundreds of research studies. His best-selling book, Marketing to Mind States, generated six figures in just six months of launching, which makes me really jealous, <laughs> and is one of the leading resources on behavioral and science-based marketing today. And if that's not enough, Will teaches uh, at marketing courses at SMU and other institutions and writes for Forbes. So Will, welcome to the Everybody Brands podcast. Brian, thank you for having me. I appreciate your time. Yeah, no, this is exciting. And, and I you know, we've talked before about some framework mashups and um, I've got some other mashup I'm working on with your framework. So I'm really excited about it. But, you know, what really triggered this conversation today is when you sent an email out and, you, and you've got this great, I think it's weekly um, mind state minute. Um, and if, if you don't subscribe to this and you want insight on how to make your marketing more focused and more effective and the words that you use even more uh, relevant to the people you're trying to write for, I really just recommend it because Will sends out these short, really approachable videos. They're less than five minutes, but you gain some um, fantastic insights into how you can just connect better with the audience. But you, this one email, and I'm just going to read it, um, says, maybe it was the Volkswagen Darth Vader commercial from the 2011 Super Bowl. And if you don't remember that, go look it up. It is the one where uh, the young boy was uh, making the, the Volkswagen do certain things. And of course, it was his father inside hitting the button. Oh, I'm sorry, that was a spoiler alert. Honestly, I used to do that with my Volkswagen Beetle. I had a green Beetle. And the kids would look at it and they'd walk up to touch it and I would hit the, the button and they would jump back and it was great fun. Um, and then you mentioned the Old Spice, the man, your man could smell like campaign and or the uh, Budweiser Clydesdales. And um, you asked what made each of those commercials have an impression on you? And, and it wasn't because they had top of the line production, but there was something else it did. And, and Will, I just want to let, let, let you um, take yeah. from there. What was it those commercials did that resonated? Yeah, ultimately, and, and probably most people out there, if you haven't heard this, you should hear this, it's that they initially make a very fast emotional connection. Um, 
And that's really important in any kind of advertising, even if you're talking about a shelf blade in a grocery store, if that's what you're, you know, you're able to sell your product in a small grocery store, even a small message on a display, it has to make an emotional connection first. And there's a lot of just a deep behavioral psychology and neuroscience behind making that connection first. Yeah. And, and you know, the actual phrase you use is it was because the creative resonated with your heart and mind. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I did that deliberately in that order um, because, you know, what's happening now and it's only getting worse. The topics we're going to be talking about today, Brian, are only getting worse. But I saw a study that said that we're hit with between six and 10,000 advertisements on average every day. That's not adverts. That's not impressions. I'm sorry. It's not impressions. That's it's an actual advertisement of some kind. And because of that, there is this strong psychological filter that's getting, in fact, stronger by the day. Uh, and we all have this psychological filter. It's something it's non-conscious, but it's eliminating the vast majority of marketing. And so the way to get through that filter is not through kind of, you know, the brain and convincing people that they should buy your product, that they should engage with your website. Uh, because what we find in neuroscience is that your brain makes a judgment of whether it wants to interact with something or avoid something in the first 120th of a second, in the first 120th of a second. So your rational kind of brain doesn't work that fast. What does work that fast is your heart. And so what you got to do is connect with the heart immediately. Then hopefully over time, whether you have a 30 second spot, a six second spot, a, a shelf blade that you are tapping as well into the brain to confirm what you feel as a person. Yeah. And that's, you know, and that's something, you know, you and I have talked about, I wrote about that in my, uh, my first book where we talked about speaking to the mind and appealing to the heart, um, appealing to the, you know, touching the heart, speaking to the mind and, and creating that, you know, quick emotional connection. And the, it's so hard because what you were talking about is we get numb to it. It's almost like we're getting calluses built up around our, our brain and those calluses keep us from sensing and feeling um, unless it's something that really connects with something we believe in, something we value, something that's meaningful to us. Um, so, you know, is, is leading with facts then similar to selling features and benefits and, some, you know, is that relevant anymore? I, I, I think it is similar. And I do believe it's relevant, actually. Um, it's just not as important as it was back in the 60s and 70s and maybe the 80s, 1980s, where you had a couple of different channels and you had a couple of different billboards and, you know, maybe some radio ads, very little uh, direct, direct to consumer. But today, those world, that world has changed. So, because we're so inundated um, that if you start off with features and benefits, I'm telling you, especially in this economy right now, um, you know, in this economy right now, we have the highest growth in new business startups ever. Why is that? It's because there's a high unemployment rate right now. And so entrepreneurs everywhere are like, well, I got to do something to feed my family. So what am I gonna do? I'm gonna start something. I'm gonna start a side gig. It's a side hustle usually. It's not this kind of entrepreneurial, you know, big, big company. It's more or less somebody's driving for Uber. Somebody is starting up a, we have people in our neighborhood starting up small little restaurant businesses. You know, I'll cook for you, just anything. I'll use my mom's apple pie and I'll sell pies. Well, all of those are businesses and all of those people, every one of these people are advertising their features and benefits. 
So now all of a sudden we have doubled the amount of advertising just in my local neighborhood, but nobody's trying to, nobody has the time to establish a brand, frankly. So what are they doing? They're going in straight features and benefits. And because everybody's hitting features and benefits, it is no different than kind of what, what, what I call in my book, talking about functional goals. Um, these are functional goals that people have. I want yummy, tasty pie. I think that's great right? Yummy, tasty pie is fine. The problem is that I have three neighbors all selling their grandma's favorite yummy, tasty pie. Mm. So you need something to break through all that clutter. And that is kind of where we get into the emotional side of marketing. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier, you said six to 10,000, I think, but I think it's higher. I mean, studies I've seen, it's as many as 35,000 a day. Because uh, you know, if, if you read anything like news on your phone, you go to the, a site and you have to like consciously, like you get one short paragraph and then a huge ad. <laughs> and it's it's yeah. like not worth reading news anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those ads aren't cutting through people. People are looking for something else that's going to meet the emotionally need that they have at that moment, which is, you know, yeah. answering a question, meeting, you know, yeah, very much so. And, 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 and to anyone out there, I don't mean to say, and I want to make sure this is clear, you still have to tell your neighbors that your pie is yummy and it's a great value. That, that's, that's important, right? But what you're doing, so we have a, we have a term in uh, behavioral psychology, it's a cognitive heuristic, it's called confirmation bias. Um, and confirmation bias is after you make an emotional decision, oftentimes in the first one-tenth, one-twentieth, even within a second, you make an emotional decision of whether I'm going to buy this pie or not, whether I'm going to engage with this website or not. You make it that fast many times. The rational brain wants to confirm, right, that that is, that, that, that this is a good emotional choice. So that's why you have to say, this is my grandma's recipe. This is why you say that it's, it's only $1.99 for the pie. Those rational things matter because if you just only talk about emotion, what happens sometimes, now you can make lots of purchases on just emotion. I totally get you can. <laughs> But there's also a lot of times people get excited and then they, they feel like, well, I have to be able to justify this purchase to my wife or to my husband or to myself. And so they need those little proof points, but they're just looking for you to validate what they already feel. So it's not very hard, but you have to have those in there. But if I think if you lead with those first and then try to bring in your emotion, you're doing it backward. And if you bring in emotion first and don't confirm, you're going to get some sales. I don't, I don't disagree with that. You'll get fewer sales. Yeah, interesting. You know, and I think that that's really interesting because you know one of the things I've always thought of is you have to find the balance that's right for your audience. Mm-hmm. So, and and you know we haven't been able to do the actual in-depth research on this, but we know from working with one of our clients for well over three years, they do not respond to emotional triggers. They are very fact-driven and they make 90% of their decisions for what we're marketing to them based on facts and a simple and easy plan to follow through. Mm-hmm. It, and it took us about two and a half years to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we know when and where we can speak to them uh, emotionally, but it's, and it's on something totally different. It's on a values-based system that aligns with the work they do. And there we inspire them. They love it. We get a lot of engagement. But if we try to lead with that kind of content and then drive them to a decision-making, you know, like, you know, you know, it's more like join this webinar because it's going to help you solve these problems that you experience every day in your business versus, you know, get inspired by this speaker who's going to help you 
teach you how to solve these problems. So we don't yeah. even mention the speaker. It's just like, here's the one, two, three, here's the one, yeah. two, three, and how to participate. Well, um, I also suggest that it depends on where they are in the journey with you. And there's trust. I, I think that as you build trust, and that's not easy to do. I, I just did a, a, a webinar two days ago, maybe I can't guess, maybe two days ago about this idea of winning trust, not earning trust, winning trust. But either way, if you look at trust, as people become more familiar with you, as they become more trusting of you, they start moving more into allowing you to lead in with more emotion. Because I even work with surgeons on some of my research projects and surgeons, or, you know, I work with government officials who have large bureaucracies that they have to navigate to get, you know, kind of my clients products through the system, whether it's consulting services or, 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 or medical services. And so very rational people, they have, they have, they have, um, systems behind them to where it's supposed to eliminate emotion out of the decisions. But frankly, we're all people. So as my clients are able to establish greater trust, and I'm not saying that's easy, and I'm not saying that you can do that um, in, in a short period of time. But as you build trust, I believe you'll you'll have more leeway to lead in heavier on, on emotion because they trust you. They know you're going to get give them the right things that they need. Right. Yeah. And, and it's really interesting. So I think now that we've figured out that and and, I, and we are there in terms of, of the trust and, and moving them forward. Yeah. And now that we are there, you know, and we know the distinction. And that's one thing we've always talked with our clients about is, you know, your clients are going to are going to need to know and you're going to need to know what's the balance between the rational and the emotional. Um, you know, for instance, you know, we can all think back to the commercials that are for the um, the pet causes. Um, and, and I don't remember which one it was, but they had the songs and the, and the sad puppies. They're McLaughlin, right? Is that yeah. the one you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Sarah McLaughlin singing. SPCA, Yeah. Okay. And, and how the, either those really drew people in or they completely just turned people away. Um, I, mean, I remember sitting there and sitting, watch, seeing one come on TV and whoever was, had the remote just said, I'm not watching this. And they just changed the channel immediately because it was too emotional. Yeah. Um, so uh, you were talking about trust. That's interesting. So I want to I want to segue here into um, you know this tool that you have, which I'm fascinated with the the mind state blueprint. Um, so I'm starting to look at this in terms of how we use this actually not only to understand the customer, but how to position the brand as a trusted brand, okay. and um, you know empathy, authority leading to credibility and trust. I think that really, that ends up flowing out of what the brand's motivation is. You know, what do they, what's the best that they want for their um, customers they're serving and how are they approaching that? Um, you know, and, and ideally then you're, you know, a, a brand's going to be positive and they're always approaching that. So I just wanted to show you, I'm, I'm making all these notes on it. I love it. And, all right. <clears throat> And this whole thing came to me like, you know, that time when you wake up in the morning and just your free throwing thoughts, you're not quite awake. I'm like, yeah. oh, wait, I can apply this to brand voice and the motivation to mission, yeah. which helps to position the brand so that when a brand says, this is who we want to be, that's, you know, they can drive there more quickly. But then also that then leads me to positioning that brand effectively as the guide in something we're both familiar with, which is the story brand framework. Since I became a story brand certified guide, 
I've helped dozens of leaders unify sales teams and grow their business with clear messaging that helps customers understand why they should engage, donate, and buy. StoryBrand is a proven model that helps teams and leaders communicate with clarity, connect with customers, and grow their sales. It's a sure way to get everyone on your team to speak in one voice with a clear and consistent message. So if you need help defining your focus and creating a clear message so your marketing starts to produce, contact Aspire at aspire.com slash storybrand. That's A-E-S-P-I-R-E dot com slash storybrand. So you can stop wasting money, find the clarity you need, and start growing your sales. I kind of flipped around your model to turn it inward. Yeah. But... I see it as serving both this external messaging, but also this internal brand building mm-hmm. process, which I'm really excited about. And I haven't totally, totally flushed out yet, Yeah, but I'm working on it. Well, I'm kind of digging it. Um, and that's the first time I've heard it. Um, but, you know, for those of you guys who don't know, Brian and I met after I went to a story brand session last February. I never heard about these sessions until a couple of like maybe three weeks before um, the story brand session came through. I sat in a large conference room going through the process and I had one sheet of paper doing the story brand for my business, brand new business, Mind State Group. And then another sheet of paper was like, oh my gosh, he is saying so many of the same things as what I talk about, but in a slightly different way. And I was so inspired that I started thinking about where does my model, um, you know, understanding, you know, people's aspirational goals and then using, you know, understanding what motivates them to reach their goals and then what approach to use. And I knew it fit in some of these places because we're, we're both I and Donald Miller and you, we're, we know they go together because there's a lot of behavioral science and all of this stuff, but didn't know exactly where. And so you and I figured out, we, we met each other and, you know, we had this conversation about where does it fit? And when we talked, I was like, I don't know. In fact, I was so inspired. I immediately went on the airplane ride home from Nashville. I started writing for Forbes, an article about it. And I was like, I just came out of this thing and I think it fits here. And then, you know, just like anything else, like I have had my moments, my moments are at night just before I go, or when I get into bed and then I take off the covers and I run to my office. So Melanie thinks there's like a burglar coming into our house and I just get out of bed. Cause I want to get my thoughts down on paper before I go to bed. And, and I've done, I've done some pretty decent work. I'm trying to see where it fits, but what I like about what you're doing, and, and I think you're right because it fits with trust. And if, if I'm smart, I may actually write this down for Forbes. Building trust um, or becoming a trusted guide, as you said it, I, I think maybe the way to establish trust. Remember, I told you I did a webinar recently and I said, you can't earn, you can earn trust. That may take time. I believe now we're in a moment because we have so many customer, I'm sorry, so much advertising. Everyone's trying to win attention, you know, the attention economy. I think you need to try to win trust. And a way of winning trust is making this deep human connection, which is all about understanding somebody's aspirational goal. So I thought to myself, if I was going to build a brand and I was in that, you know, the, 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 the hero meets the guide, the first thing I was thinking about would be basically the guide understands my aspirational goals as a brand. That brand understands my aspirations. Check. That's the first part of my model goals. Then I thought, well, then the goal, the, the, the customer, I'm sorry, the brand knows my purpose. That if you understand somebody's purpose, you build trust. Like if I can communicate to you in a way that I know that, you know, belonging is important to you and I message to that belonging, you're going to have greater trust because I just feel natural. And then the last one was like, and you know, the intuitive, natural way to talk to me. 
So whether that's, you know, in my book, it's called um, either being optimistic or cautious. So if I know that you're more optimistic in nature, then my language is going to differ than if you're more cautious in nature. And so I started thinking, as you said that, I thought if, if I want to be a trusted guide, you know, that, that third part, is that the third part of the model? Yeah. Third part of the story mm -hmm. model. I, I'm not, I think you may have something there, Brian. I really do. Like that might be the natural fit as opposed to disconnecting my parts of my book. It may all fit there about building the brand, but but becoming that trusted guide versus just a guide who has empathy and authority. And the way to build empathy is what I just said. If you understand somebody's goals, their aspirations, you understand their purpose, which is their motivation, and you understand their intuitive approach, I'm thinking you probably have a much stronger human brand that you can rely on to be that, 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 is, that, that can differentiate you versus any other company that says, I understand you because I've been where you've been or, and I'm also smart. I have authority. I think there's a deeper connection you can make in that space. Yeah, I def definitely believe that because I always push past empathy and uh, authority and say that what we're actually doing is those two components combine to create the credibility and credibility is what either earns or wins you trust. Yeah. Because you've yeah. proven competence. Um, yeah, so I'm frantically writing this down too. But, I kind of like it. Yeah, I mean, um, but, I, I'm I'm kind of thinking it through as I go along. But as you're talking about that, I thought there's some natural behavioral science in in there because ultimately, like I think it comes down to that one twentieth of a second. Right. I don't know if that's you know that that is actually a scientific thing, but you know maybe it takes somebody eight seconds to look at your website, and if you haven't established that connection, that empathy within eight seconds you should assume that you're never going to. It's, it, they've already created a avoidance or at least resistance. And when I think about StoryBram um, and I reflect on my experience, you know, I think about a rocket ship. I've been thinking, I'm playing around this analogy. My business coach tells me about this analogy of a rocket ship. And for you to propel a rocket ship, you need two things. You need to have propulsion to push and then you have to have lower resistance. That's why you have these tubes and things like that. And I, mm -hmm. I'm not an astrophysicist or anything else, but resistance. And I think about story brand and what I think it does a great job at doing is lowering resistance it, 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 because it, it's using narrative psychology to make you feel like it's, you know, your brand is kind of, it lives within the story. We all live within stories. And if you get anything wrong, like if you're too complex in your language, or if you're not simple, then you create resistance. So I'm like, I think it does an incredible job at the resistance side of the rocket ship. But what I didn't feel that it did a great job on was the propulsion side. It assumes that somebody has a desired need to engage with your, with your brand or company. And that's a big assumption. I don't think in today's world we can assume that or we don't want to wait. I'm not going to wait for somebody to desire, hey, I think I, better, I want to do better communications. I want to go to them and say, do you know that better communications are going to advance your career or they're going to you know, get your business running? I need to drive that fuel. I need to give you the fuel. And so that's where I think my model starts to play in. That's where, that's where I, I, I wrote about this, in fact, on Forbes, thinking where, where I feel like I wanted to get my model incorporated into it was the propulsion side. I think it does a great job at resistance. Um, I think propulsion is where, um, where, where I think motivational psychology and motivations really help. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's where, you know, you're getting to that point where you're understanding what you call triggers and 
where resistance is lowered, find that point of least resistance and use that trigger to push people through to make that decision. I like how you said that. Yeah, to push people through. Someone's going through the atmosphere. If we're going to keep the analogy, it's it's being able to push through that atmosphere, bam, and you're in space. It's the trigger that'll do that. I like that. Right, right. And that, remember, and we have to remember that that propulsion is is created by a propellant. Mm-hmm. Um, because without it, even in space, you need a propellant to move an object, an object from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're just not pushing, I mean, even with like a solar, what do they call it? A solar sail. Yeah. It's photons pushing that sail, which become the propellant. Um, so I'm kind of nerdy that way. We're geeking out. I love yeah. it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, so, um, so one of the, you know, you know, I, I know we talk a lot about marketing and, you know, the thing that always comes up is this conversation about, the difference between branding and marketing, which one you should do first. And um, I like, I love to ask my guests this question is, you know, we know that branding is a word that doesn't have a widely accepted definition. Um, so how do you define branding? Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to be the kind of behavioral scientist guy. I think of branding as a series of associations, good and bad, that a brand has created over time with people, psychological associations, Um, And the vast majority of the associations you had nothing to do with. It was a neighbor talking about a brand experience. It was um, even in the behavioral science space, Brian, it's crazy that something three steps removed from your brand can actually be associated with your brand. And this is a terrible example I'll come up with, but this idea that if somebody has an incredibly bad experience with a company and then they tell you about a totally different company, But if you have just been interacting with my brand, just interacting with my brand, psychologically, your brain can associate the negative story that this gentleman had about a totally different company and can can impact the associations you have in my brain. Because it's all not conscious. Your brain can't really differentiate all this stuff. It just feels all these emotions and they actually form together. So brands are just a series of these associations. Vast majority of them you can't control as a company. But what you can do is try to control as many as you can. And that's what marketing does. Marketing allows you, the mechanism of marketing is, you know, certainly, you know, I, I think of marketing in a couple of different ways, but one of the one of the reasons why you do marketing is to try to create positive associations with your brand so that when somebody is in considering uh, or is in consideration of your products, whatever category you're in, that at least you come to mind in a positive way. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we all have, you know, brands we love. We all have brands that we don't like. We all have, and there's the rest of the brands we're ambivalent about. Yeah. Vast um, majority, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. The vast majority of brands are very ambivalent about. Right. But I think, you know, the, the brand owner should always be striving to create a brand that people love. And that's a phrase I use a lot. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And, and your, your, your explanation of brandings is, is can be summed up with the one that a lot of people go back to, which is coined by Marty Newmeyer. A brand isn't what you think it is. It's what your customer says it is. Yeah, very much so. Very um, much so. I think we, and I was in the brand marketing world for a long time. I worked at PepsiCo. I mean, for the first 20 years of my life, I was in brand marketing for different companies and I worked on big, big global brands. And what <laughs> What I figured out over time is that when you're working on a team for 18 months, that's usually the the amount of time I'd work on a brand for 18 months, you are so enamored with all the great things that your brand does. You live in that world. You live in that world. I remember we launched a brand called um, um, uh, Flat Earth. 
was a brand long, long time ago and it failed miserably. But the idea of Flat Earth was these beautiful fruit chips that were going to taste so great. It was a whimsical brand. You know, the, the, the mascot was a pig flying. You know, it was it was a beautiful brand. We were so enamored with this idea of this brand being so much more than just a chip brand, everything else. And I gave it the mom test. I remember telling my mom about this bag, this, this brand. I didn't work on the brand, but I was near the team. And I was so excited. I remember her laughing a little bit. She said, how much are these things? I was like, oh my gosh, mom a bag of these fruit chips are like five forty nine, And she started laughing. Now my mom is from East Tennessee in the, in the Smokies. And as much as aspiration I was talking about, about the flat one flat earth and how great these things are. She was like, people can't afford a five forty nine bag of chips. And I remember thinking, Oh mom, you don't know. It died, Brian. Why? It's because we were internally talking about a brand, but we didn't really own that brand our customer owned that brand and the associations they had with the brand certainly was whimsical and cute, but it was also a very high priced snack. And it was very, I mean, lots of air in the bag, very few chips. Um, and so I remember thinking to myself, that's, that's, that's one of the first indications when you realize you don't own your brand, you can pretend you own your brand, you can try, but ultimately your customers own your brand. And in this case, we didn't own a very good value association. <laughs> right. And that just, just exactly what you said there, value association. Um, I don't know if you go back to this, but you can see right there behind my head, oh, yeah. uh, the Bain value pyramid, which we refer to all the time and, and to help people, especially even on this, um, even in the goals, motivation, approach and heuristics, like here's the functional goals people have. And yeah. it sounds like that, that, that um, brand association missed the value part. Like people don't want to pay $5 for a bag of, of, fruit chips. Even I paid, if it is whimsical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even if the, the logo is beautiful. I know I paid. So two days ago, I paid $2 for a bag of apple chips. Yeah. My oh. first, and, and I, there was no price on it. So I you know, rang it up, said $2. I'm like, wonder how much these would be at Dollar Tree, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, you know, they'd <laughs> be a less. <laughs> yeah. So it is, but you know, they're, and they're pretty good, but it's what I buy it again. Maybe. Um, but you know, it was more of an impulse buys. Like, and, and it's something you talk about in your book. It's like, okay, if I eat apple chips, I'll be eating healthy. Yeah. Even though they're probably full of like what sulfur dioxide, fried and oil sulfites. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sulfite, yeah. Totally, of course. Yeah. Got to keep those apple chips, uh, you know, not rotting for the next two years to get your <laughs> ROI back on that manufacturing cost. <laughs> that's right, and not turning brown in the bag because that everybody. <laughs> That's right. Uh, well, that's interesting. So, you know, yeah, I appreciate that perspective. Um, yeah. And so, you know, and I appreciate your time. I appreciate this conversation. I think a lot of people are going to really enjoy this and, you know, okay. it, it practically too then. So if, you know, someone who's listening right now, and I've had two or three conversations like this just this week with, with prospective clients, and they, they came to me and said, you know, I need to work on my mission statement or I need to, you know, need to do this. And I said, no, really that's for your internal branding perspective. What you need is to drive leads to your, your business. And right. a couple of these were education focused. Um, one was a landscaping company. We can focus on those other things later. Um, so would you agree, you know, that people need to focus on marketing before they focus on branding or is there a way to pursue those concurrently? Yeah. Um, I think right now, unless you are already a large established brand, you should be focused on marketing first. Um, now, I also agree that as you're going through this, you don't wanna be marketing to a company for two to three years before you start trying to figure out 
who you should stand for. And, you know, I, I know there's many books. I know, you know, you, you're a big proponent of finding your purpose, whether it's your brand purpose, or your own personal purpose for starting a company, whatever it is, whether you're landscaping, selling grandma's apple pie, whatever it is, mm-hmm. I think you should be working that in the background, but I wouldn't be spending a dollar on branding in this economy, especially. Um, I wouldn't spend a dollar actually actively trying to create consideration out there and building. There's just too much, there's too much noise happening right now. I would make sure I'm driving enough sales to justify the cost and the time commitment and the thinking commitment to build the brand, my personal opinion, but also behavioral science would suggest that that's the thing to do. It's the easier thing to do. Building associations and like, you know, controlling these brand associations, it's very risky. Because So have you seen all the data that shows the amount of people that have no brand loyalty right now? Like, like companies have spent multi-millions of dollars doing loyalty programs and establishing brands for many, many decades. And they have seen up to 40%, 50% of their customers try other brands. Mm. They did nothing wrong. They did nothing wrong, but the environment changed to where they weren't available. Some guy went to a grocery store, couldn't find your favorite brand and found a substitute to put in your bag to, to deliver to your house. And you tried a new brand. And you thought, actually, it's not too bad. It's happy. You don't control these things. So if you can't control all the associations and brand loyalty, why would, what I would suggest you do is rather than every dollar trying to build out this loyalty and loyalty program, I would be spending as many dollars as I could to get people to keep trying my brand through marketing until you have enough volume, enough great brand experiences to justify the cost of time, the effort to build a brand. Now that could be one year from now. I don't think you should wait three years or, or four years, but I, but I certainly don't think you should be doing double spend right now. I don't think, I don't see it. Yeah, no, I agree. It's, 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 we, we do have to be really sensitive to what's going on in the market. Um, and, you know, in the economy, you know, just um, 2021's coming up and, you know, I think we're both advising our clients. This is what you need to do to be ready for it. I know you you do some excellent research and you release some um, short papers on you know three mm-hmm. things that people should be aware of. And you know I've certainly shared that with dozens of clients. Like Good. right now, people oh. are still focused on safety and control, um, security, but also that sensor release. release. Um, you know, it's still happening. Even what is it? We started looking at that data in March, and it's still happening. It's right. still those three. Right. We've, we've seen, we've, we've seen so many, well, and you probably have down where, where you live too, just house, either house starts or number of people selling. But I was driving around we were looking at um, neighbor, the homes going up in new neighborhoods. And there's one particular company up here that sells a modular deck system. Uh-huh. And I would see two or three signs on every block almost that somebody's putting up a deck in their backyard all summer. It was, yeah. it was incredible. Yeah. Uh, well, I was I was talking to somebody the other day, and I said Home Depot, which I'm sure I, I don't I don't follow these, you know, Home Depot or Lowe's or whatever. But when you're spending upwards of four or five days in your home without leaving, you start noticing things that you want. <laughs> these are right. like I hate this paint, like, and so I could totally see because right now your home, just like we talked about in those papers, your home is in, for many people, it's your restaurant, it's your school, it's your religious, you know, it's your church. It's your uh, work. It's your entertainment, you know, place for movies. So when you're living in your home and doing all these different things, you start looking at your home very differently. And all of a sudden, modular deck makes a lot of sense. It looks like a great investment. Sure, uh, sure. And you know, and, and um, 
Home Depot and Lowe's were up anywhere from 30 to 40%. Are they? Uh, yeah. I couldn't um, and I, we, we do know from talking, we've been talking to some of our colleagues, our friends who own appliance dealerships. Um, wow. Four to five months out on things like uh, refrigerators, washers, dryers, stoves, um, hot tub sales, four to five months out. So you order it now, you're going to get it in February or March. Wow. So yeah. pent up demand, right? A lot of time so, in our house, a lot of time to think. That's right. No, but it's absolutely true. It's, and, you know, people are not only living at home, they're living at work. Yeah, that's um, so right. Living at work. I like that. Well, Will, I just want to thank you for your time today. This has been amazing to me because I'm, I'm all about this uh, motivational psychology and behavioral science. Um, uh, I think you've, you've given us some great insights on how to apply this, which is what's most important. We can talk theory all day, but if we don't apply it, it's meaningless. Very so much. thanks so much for your time. And tell us how people can get in touch with you, where they can buy your book, most importantly, because um, it is a great book. I would highly recommend it for anybody who's doing marketing or brand development right now. Thank you very much. Well, I appreciate that. So my book is called Marketing to Mind States, The Practical Guide to Applying Behavioral Design to Research and Marketing, Will Leach. You can buy it on Amazon. You can go to my uh, website, mindstategroup.com, and you can buy the book as well as sign up for workshops. So in fact, we're doing a workshop uh, pretty much every month. We do a live workshop to train brand managers, marketing directors, small businesses, how to think about their customer through the lens of behavioral psychology in my book. And over the course of two days, we work through data to show you how you can identify your customer's mind state, but more importantly, then what are you going to do differently in your communication? So every month we do these workshops. Uh, we have one coming up in just a few weeks um, and look on uh, pretty soon. We're going to actually be offering master classes uh, where you can just download this stuff to, so you can do it on your own video-based courses as well. So be on the lookout, mindstategroup.com. And at a minimum, Brian, like you said, sign up for my, sign up for my blog. Um, I send out videos every week. I have lots of articles and white papers that I send out because ultimately I'm just trying to, you know, help people become much better marketers and successful. And uh, I think behavioral psychology is a great tool. Yep. And I would agree. I've, I've taken one of your workshops and, um, I'm using, I'm using this mind state blueprint with all of our clients now just to walk them through it, help them think a little bit differently about their customers and they're getting it. They, they see it. So good. I think you have something with that empathy side. I, I like where you're going with that. I may, I want to put some more thought in that as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's keep talking about it. So, you will. all right. Thanks, Will. Thank you very much, Brian. Appreciate you. Okay. Appreciate you too. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Everybody Brands podcast from Brian Soy. You can find more content like this at Aspire.com and in the forthcoming book, Everybody Brands, How High-Performing Companies Use Storytelling to Deepen Customer Relationships. In the meantime, look for books by Brian Soy on Amazon.com and discover resources to help you build powerful brands that inspire and engage at Aspire.com resources. Music from this episode is the track Wrong by Dan Hennig, found on youtube.com slash audio library slash music.